I'm going to talk to you tonight about the need for discernment. I talked about the economics of heaven earlier, and I want to say, say kind of segue it, because it, it kind of worked. I was meditating on this verse while we were praising uh, the Lord. It, it, it talks about the economy of heaven, right? And I want, to, I want to mention a couple of definitions here, and some of them I'm sure that you will know. So we have supply. In economics, supply is how much a merchant or a store or somebody has in stock to sell. That's supply. Demand, you know, is what the customer or the market actually wants. A surplus. A surplus is having more in your inventory than, uh, than you can, that you can sell. And so a surplus kind of tend tends to drive prices down. But there's a, there's a fourth word that I want to really hone in on tonight for just a couple seconds. It's called scarcity. Scarcity. In economics, scarcity means insufficiency or shortness of supply or rarity of a good or service. Tonight, the good or service that I want to talk to you about is discernment. And when we turn on the news, Whenever we launch social media on our phones, does it not seem to you that discernment is a scarce resource in the church in the United States of America today? Now, to like to kind of make it relatable, do you remember when the lockdown started? Right? What was the one commodity that we could not find anywhere? Exact toilet paper. Exactly. There was a scarcity of toilet paper. There was a scarcity of toilet paper. And now, like, um, more recently, the new Xbox consoles and PlayStation consoles have, have, have released. And they sold out immediately, pretty much. And so now we're in a scarcity of these new gaming consoles. But what's more important than toilet paper, believe it or not, and what's more important than a gaming console mm -hmm. for Christians today is discernment. That's right. And I'll say it one more time. I believe that here in the church in the United States, we have a scarcity. It may not be a scarcity of a material resource or a thing, but rather we have a shortness or an insufficiency in the church of discernment. Again, take a look. Take a look. Now, and if we if we we see these things that are happening happening in the natural with our with our natural eyes, just imagine what is happening right now in the spirit. Just imagine that for a moment. But with this in mind, as, we, as we, we hold in our minds that we have a scarcity of discernment in the church, I want to list the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with 8 through verse 10. It lists out for us the gifts of the Spirit. We know these are the words of wisdom, the words of knowledge, of faith as a spiritual gift. You can have the spiritual gift of faith, um, the gift of healing, the gift of working miracles, the gift of prophecy. The gift of distinguishing between spirits, and the word distinguishing here in the, New King, or in the King James is discerning. So the gift of discerning between spirits, which is a key word that we want to remember. The gift of tongues. Um, you know, the Church of God believes that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that that means that we believe it's the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because as we can see here, there's uh, eight or ten gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we have the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Now discernment, I believe, believe is an evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit as well. And I believe that it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to exhibit the gifts of the Holy Spirit apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Likewise, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it is impossible to bear the fruits of the Spirit without being infilled by the Holy Spirit. And so now that we have uh, discernment in a biblical context on our radar. Let's answer this question. What is discernment? You know, you look up in a dictionary, you'll see discernment defined as acuteness of judgment or understanding. Uh, the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. But if we define discernment here uh, from 1 Corinthians 12.10, the Greek word is diakrisis, which means judicial estimation or a distinguishing, discerning, or a judging. Now, if we get even more granular, you have to like bear with me. I'm laying this out, it all makes sense. If we look at the root word of discernment, which is discern, discern itself can be defined as to recognize 
or identify as separate and distinct to see or understand the difference. So what we have here, when Paul says the gift of distinguishing between spirits, discerning between spirits, he's saying this is the ability to identify and separate these spirits that are distinct from one another, to understand the difference between the spirits in which things and people are operating in. Now I want to speak of judgment very quickly when it comes to discernment. Now the judgment in discernment isn't the kind that says guilty or not guilty, right? It's, it's rather a judgment um, that's the process of forming an opinion or an evaluation by identifying and understanding the difference between something and comparing between things. So here, to, to say it plainly, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is saying that the ability to judge between spirits... That is to identify, recognize, and differentiate between the spirits so that we can know if a spirit is from the Lord or not is a spiritual gift. So if we can, discernment is important because it helps us identify if a spirit or a person or a message or a, or a sermon is coming from the Lord. And I believe that all Christ followers should possess discernment. Um, you know, although the dispensation of discernment as a spiritual gift varies because that's up to the Lord on who he's going to give that gift to. Similar to how Paul says, you know, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, right? And then he goes on to say, I wish you all, like, more than that, the prophesy. <laughs> I would say that I wish that we in the church in the United States of America would all be gifted discernment from the Lord because he knows how desperately that we need it. That's right. Now, I will say this. We cannot gain heavenly discernment without the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. Isaiah 11 and 2 reads in the King James like this. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, this is Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Understanding here meaning discernment. The Spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And here we have listed out the seven spirits of God, which you see or are listed or kind of referenced back to in Revelation in several places. Uh, three, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 5, and chapter 5, verse 6. And in 5, verse 6, we see that these seven spirits of God are the candlesticks that are at the throne of the Lord before him. But we're going to look at two of these seven spirits of God right now. Wisdom and knowledge. The wisdom of God. You know, Paul writes again to the church in Corinth, but this time he talks about the wisdom of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 25, that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So I think what he's getting at here is that I can turn on my TV or log into my Facebook account and see all of these experts saying their, their things, and I can see all of these people listing out their, 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 their theories and their ideas, but the bottom line is God's wisdom is far superior than all other wisdom on the earth today. Amen. Again, you know, we look at, we look at James in the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And we see that we're exhorted by him to ask in faith of God for wisdom. And when we ask for wisdom in faith from God, God will give it to us freely and without reproach. James 1, 5 and 6. How then can we identify whether a person or a spirit is operating in the wisdom of the Lord? And I think, again, James provides us the answer here. He says in uh, James 3... Beginning in verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now let's stop right here. Let's take an inventory first of ourselves. Let's take an inventory of ourselves and ask ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Dear Lord, is there anything in me that would cause me to be portrayed or seen as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic when it comes to the exhibition of the wisdom of the Lord in my life? 
And then he goes on to say, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the good news is, he says, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, and is open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial, impartial rather, and sincere. I'll say this. We know the tree by the fruit that that tree bears. As Jesus would say concerning the Pharisees, but it's also important for us. We know the tree by the fruit it bears. And James says here, good fruits could be the indicator of the wisdom of heaven. The wisdom of God is again brought about by the infilling of the Holy Spirit and is made evident by bearing the fruits of the Spirit. You know, with this in mind, again, as we continue to take inventory of ourselves, what fruit do I bear? What fruit do you bear? Going on now, the knowledge of God. We must know not only in our heads with our intelligence, but we also must know Him in our hearts with intimacy. Because intimacy, or intelligence rather, without intimacy is a roadway to Phariseeism. An intelligence and a head knowledge without knowing the Father, without an intimacy with God, is a dangerous road that leads to legalism over holiness. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Matthew 15 8, These people honor me with their lips. They know the word and they know it in their minds, but they have not let it take root in their hearts. Therefore, their hearts are far from me. It's not enough, church, to just know the word in my head without letting it take root and take effect in my heart. I'll ask this. Could it be that head knowledge concerning the word of God simply is not enough? Should we also know the Lord with our hearts? We see over and over again in the Old Testament, in the writings of the prophets, he says things like sacrifices I don't need. What I want is obedience. Circumcise the foreskins of your hearts. I'm tired of your rituals and I'm tired of your traditions. Could it be that the Lord is saying to the church in America today, I'm tired of you trying to prove how theologically smart you are. I want your heart. I want you to live a life that is worthy of the calling that I've called you to. I want you to live and move and breathe and know me. Because there will be many on that day that say, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? And Jesus will have to look at them with a tear in his eye and say, I never knew you. It's not enough for me to know a scripture in my head if it's not living and moving and breathing and active inside me, changing me daily to be conformed to the image of Christ, which is the ultimate call for every Christ follower in the earth. Intimacy is paramount. To have intelligence without intimacy is to be whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. So with this in mind, the wisdom of God plus the knowledge of God equals discernment from God. Now without discernment, there are three things that happen. There are three things that happen. Firstly, our spiritual ears become deaf. When we don't have discernment, we cannot hear the voice of God. Secondly, without discernment, our spiritual mouths become impeded. Our speech patterns don't work. And thirdly, our spiritual eyes become blinded as a result of the lack of discernment. I'm going to get to my uh, main scripture. Well, one of them. I have two main scriptures tonight. Um, Mark 7. Mark chapter 7. Beginning with verse 31. We're going to read through verse 35. Mark 7, 31 says, And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they brought unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseeched him to put his hands upon him. 
And he took him aside from the multitude and put his finger in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up into heaven, Jesus sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. So there are a couple things in this passage that I want to take a look at for, for a, little, a little bit. Firstly, the man was deaf. We know deafness means we can't hear. We cannot hear the voice of the Lord among all the other voices that are calling out to us today. In social media, we can't hear the voice of the Lord if we're so inundated by news or politics. And I'll be even as bold to say this. Oftentimes, we can't hear what the Lord is saying because we're too caught up with trying to listen to what a preacher is trying to say from behind a pulpit that may not even be the Word of God. We cannot hear the voice of the Lord among all of these other voices without discernment. I'm going to ask this question, and then I want you to think about it for a couple of seconds, then I'm going to move on. How can we know the voice of God? How can we know the voice of God? See, in the Old Testament, the Lord came unto Moses saying, or the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. They, they knew the voice of the Lord. But for us today, how do we know the voice of God? The answer is this. We know the voice of the Lord when we know the word of God. Any voice, any word, any person or idea or theology that speaks contrary to the word of God mm -hmm. is not of God. Yes. Yes. Any Amen. voice that disputes the deity of Christ Come on. that would make you question or wonder whether or not Jesus was who he yeah. said he was is not yeah. the voice of God. Anything that would contradict this word, anything that would make you wonder if this is true, is not the voice of God. This is the ultimate truth. This is the word of the living God. Yes. Genesis to Revelation. I don't care what politics says, and I don't care if Facebook or Twitter tries to censor me. If you blaspheme or say this is not, oh, but it is the word of the living God who sits on the throne of heaven. Yes. Any voice that says no to this is not of God. And I don't care who it is or what it is or where it comes from. Amen. We need to hear the word of the Lord. We need to hear the Bible being read. What I've done in my own time, because I'm on this Bible plan, and if you're not on a Bible plan, please, I encourage you, find a Bible plan and read the Word of the Lord. What I've been doing is reading out loud Scripture so I can hear it with my natural ear. I'll say things like, They came together unto him, the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled hands, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. I read Scripture out loud to myself because if David had to encourage himself in the Lord, if David had to encourage himself in the Lord, how, do, how much more do I need to encourage myself in the Lord? David was a man after, the, after God's own heart. I personally can I'm not too proud to admit, I don't think I've quite gotten there yet. I need to hear this yeah. word written. I'm sick and tired of preachers preaching from Reader's Digest, and I'm sick and tired of preaching <laughs> preachers stealing other words from other ministers, and I'm sick of preachers and ministers in the church saying, thus says the Lord, whenever it's not anywhere in yeah, this. Right. And I'm sick of people saying the voice of the Lord is this when it flat out is not. And I disown it right now. Any word that comes from any pulpit that is not of God, let your mouths be silent and let the Lord Himself yeah. speak. Amen. 
I read this word out loud so I can hear it with my own ears because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The reason why we're so weak in our faith is because we're not preaching the word, church. The reason why we're so spiritually insignificant is because we don't know the word, because we're not hearing it. We're not preaching, we're not reading the word in our homes, we're not reading the word in our pulpits, and we wonder why the nation's in the state that it is, is because we've given up on the word and started worshiping the Baal and the media. I said it. I'll say it again. We've neglected the word of the Lord for words that tickle our ears, make us comfortable, and we call it social media and the news, and we love it. We love that Jeremiah would say that, you know, the prophets prophesy falsely and how my people love it so. Hallelujah. What are these people prophesying by? It's Baal. I turn off the news. I turn off Facebook. And I get my nose deep in the word of God so that it can take root in the fresh soil of my heart. I can't discern if the media is true or not if I don't know what the word says. If I don't have this measuring stick... There is no possible way that I can know what Nancy Pelosi says is true or not. If I don't have this inside of me, I cannot figure out whether or not Facebook is right. Most of the time, neither of those two parties happen to be correct anyway. But I would rather know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what the word of the Lord says is true. That's right. Amen. And it's not just Nancy Pelosi, let's be honest here. It's any politician that would say, right. this amen, amen, woman, but right before that, you're going to invoke the name of a false demon god? No, sirree. The Bible uh, says his name is Yahweh, and he yes, stands alone. Yes, yes. Our God is one, and his name is Jehovah. Yeah. Ought to be ashamed of himself, bearing the name. Call yourself a preacher, you don't even preach the word of God whenever you have an opportunity to bring revival to this nation. Come on. For opening 117th Congress, and I hope he finds this somehow. You ought to be ashamed because you blaspheme the name of Jehovah God. There's an unforgivable sin in the word that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the third man of the Trinity. Let's leave that where it's at now. If we're not hearing the word of God, how then is our faith increasing? If we're not hearing the word of God, how then are we developing our discernment to outright neglect what the word of God says? To outright neglect the word is to dull your own ears to his voice. To neglect scripture, to forsake the reading of the word. To forsake the word of God because it's not the cool thing right now. We're trying to like, if you try to make, in the attempt to become relevant, we've compromised the truth of the word of God with putting people in pews. There's, I would love to see this house filled, but not if it's going to come at the cost that I have to compromise, thus said the Lord. Yes. I, I would love to see every seat in this house filled, standing room only, but I would rather have a few and the Lord be in it than have a thousand people and I'm compromising the word of God. If I have to compromise the truth to be woke or relevant, I'm sending people to a devil's hell. Yep. And so we read in various places in scripture the phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear. Amen. Our spiritual ears need to be tuned to the Holy Spirit. They need to be tuned to the Holy Spirit. So we see that this man had a problem with his hearing, or lack thereof, because he couldn't. But secondly, we, we see that the man had a speech impediment. Now an impediment, you know, a speech impediment, and I tweeted this out, and I realized after I tweeted that I was wrong, um, you know, that there's three things that happen. You know, your ears are, uh, you're deaf, you're mute, and you're, you're blind. But it's not necessarily him being mute. He couldn't speak clearly. 
Now, when I was younger, I had a speech impediment. I couldn't say R's. I couldn't say the R sound correctly. So it was like, it, I couldn't do that. So we went to, we, we, my sister and I went to speech therapy and we got that, we got that result. So I could say R's now, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I sound I like, a, I like uh, a British individual, uh, a British person. But this, this man had a speech impediment. We, did, impediment. we don't know specifically what the speech impediment was. It could have been anything. Uh, we know that Moses also had an issue with the speech, but the Lord was able to use him. But here, this man had a speech impediment. He could not speak clearly. <laughs> Without discernment, our message of the gospel can become diluted by flesh and worldliness. If, if I don't have discernment, there could be things that come out of my mouth that don't line up with Scripture. If I don't have discernment, I don't know if the Spirit's quickening me or not to shut my mouth. How, how often do we see that? How often do we see that? And not listen, I'm like, this isn't for necessarily people outside of these, these walls of the church. How many times do we see people in positions of, of influence in ministries say things and you're like, now I just, I just don't know about that. If I don't have discernment, the message that I'm trying to speak can, speak can become diluted by the flesh and world. And as Jesus says in Luke 6.45, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to, to our talk earlier. You know the tree by the fruit that it bears. One of the fruits that people can, that, that's very evident to people, saved or not, are the words that you speak. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If this word is not in my heart, what is coming out of my mouth? If the word of the Lord is not taking root into the very recesses and depths of my soul, what words are coming out of my mouth? This is not hyper-spiritual. It's practicality. Do the words that I say line up with the, the Word of God? Do the words that I say edify the body of Christ? Do the words that I say bring glory to the one who's called me into this? And if any of the answers of that is no, then we need to fall on our face in repentance to the Lord, saying, Lord... Touch my lips with a hot coal because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. David writes in Psalms 19 and 14, and all of the, the Lee students know exactly what this is. Psalm 19 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's break it down. Let the words of my mouth. Again, there's a practicality here. Let the things that I say be pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Let the things that I say be pleasing to the Lord. And we look and we see why he wants those things to be pleasing. I don't only want the things that come out of my mouth, but I want my heart to be right with Jesus. Let the meditations of my heart be acceptable. Because David knew here the truth that Jesus would speak all of those centuries later. That from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. If my heart is not right, my speech will not be right either. We need discernment so we can know whether or not the things we're saying lines up with Scripture. Again, it's not hyper-spiritual. It's practicality. I feel like sometimes we get so caught up with the mysticism of church that we forget that this is also a book of practicality. James, Proverbs. Even here in Psalms, let the words that I say be pleasing to you, God. Do the things that we say line up with the word? Now, James, again, in verse uh, or chapter three, James calls the tongue a fire. You know, he gives the analogy like, you know, like a fire, you know, if it sparks in a, in a, in a forest, if you leave that fire unchecked, the forest burns down. I lived, when we lived in South Georgia, um, back in 2007, I want to say, there was a fire in the swamps down here. And it burned millions of acres. And it jumped the Florida, the Georgia-Florida line and moved over into Florida. <laughs> Here's the kicker. Had the man had a bucket of water, 
He could have put the fire out. But, but James here calls the tongue a burning fire, a raging fire. And in the same way, we know that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. The things that we say have so much impact. And we need to be able to discern whether or not our speech reflects clearly the nature of the Lord. We need to be able to discern whether or not the things that we say lines up again with the Word of God. You know, Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that she may know how you ought to answer every man. If I don't have discernment, I can't defend the gospel. If I don't have discernment, my words are just words. Let our speech be seasoned with salt. Jesus asks us in Luke 14, verse 34, he says of salt, if the salt has lost its savor, if the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith shall it be seasoned? If the salt loses its saltiness, can it be made salty again? Our speech ought to bear the savor, the seasoning, the salt of discernment. Our second big passage of the night is Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Let me get there. I have these little tabs in my Bible. That's supposed to make it easier, but the pages are like slick. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul is uh, telling the, the uh, church in Ephesus. I pray for you guys, and this is what I pray. Yeah, Ephesians 1.15 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul is saying here, I pray for you, and I thank the Lord for you. I thank the Lord for this church. This is like a quick side note. I love you guys. Verse 17 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Remember back what we said earlier about wisdom and understanding and, and uh, knowledge from Isaiah chapter 11. He says, I ask these things that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints I'm going to stop there. What, what Paul is saying here is I pray to God that the eyes of your heart can be opened. We, we know the story of Bartimaeus. We know the story of, of the blind men in, in the Gospels where they were brought to Jesus and he touches their eyes and they're healed. But the key phrase here in Ephesians 1, 15 through around 18 is this. Having the eyes of your heart, of your hearts enlightened. I must submit this to you, that the enlightening of our hearts, that is the opening of our hearts to Jesus, is a direct result of being filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, mentioned in verse 17 of Ephesians 1. I'm going to ask you this question now. Can eyes be opened unless they're either closed or blind? If, if eyes are already open, Paul, if, the, if their eyes were already open, Paul would not have felt the need to say, I pray that the eyes of your enlightenment would be open. So I ask the same question to us, church in America today. Can the eyes be open unless they're blinded? And I would say, as like sadly, by and large, yes. It seems to me that we have opted to walk by sight and not by faith in direct contradiction with the word of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, in which we're exhorted to walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we walk by faith. No, we do not walk by sight. But we don't need to close our eyes to the things of the Spirit. And I feel like that's what's happening. Is that we see the things that are happening in our nation. 
And we've said this is the end all be all, the truth, and this is the way it's going to be. We've, we've pushed aside faith. And we've opted to go after things that we see with our natural eyes. But I say this, to walk by faith and not by sight is to have the eyes of the heart fixed on the Father. To walk by faith and not by sight is to have your eyes on the Lord. You see, even Jesus himself says in John 5, 19, that even he can do nothing of himself, but he does what he sees the Father do. Our eyes are so focused on the media and Washington, D.C. and Twitter and Facebook that we flat out are not looking to the Father. We would rather watch the news than come to church. We would rather have our noses deep in our phones than take a moment or two and read what the Lord would say to us today. We've opted to reject discernment for an instant gratification that we explain away with the media said it, so it must be true. Tell me that it's not the case. Can, can we not see what's happening in our nation today? I can't, okay, I can't speak for the, for, the, for the condition of every other country on the planet outside of the United States because I don't follow them and I don't watch what's happening. I believe my assignment is to the United States and to the church inside of it. And I say this, if we are not looking to the Father Church in America, then we're like settling, we're selling ourselves short. We're not walking by faith. I can do nothing. Preachers, ministers, leaders in the church, you can do nothing if you're not looking to the Father for guidance. I walk by faith. I do not walk by sight. But it seems we've traded that to walk in however the media says we should or however Facebook and Twitter says we should. Look, there's a thing that's happening among leaders in a certain political party in this nation that if we say or do things that big corporations, Twitter and Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Spotify disagree with, they're going to censor us and delete our accounts. But I say, if I, this... If I say the word of the Lord and it happens to like rub somebody the wrong way, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak the word of God because this sends people to heaven. And for me to be silent is for a fire to be shut up in my bones. Yes. Yes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh, let the, let the eyes of your hearts be open. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, the old song would say. Oh, not only don't open my eyes for me to gaze into nothingness, but let me open my eyes so I can look in the face of the Father. Isaiah saw the Lord. Moses saw the Lord. The, the, the disciples of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration saw him in his glory and saw Elijah and Moses with him. And they wanted to do something about it. Oh, but we're in our churches satisfied with the way things seem to be going. No, open the eyes of our hearts, God, so we can look to you and you alone, the author, and finish your our faith because you are seated on the throne of heaven. Yes. We need to operate like Jesus did. I can do nothing except that which I see the Father doing. Oh, man, we're so blinded. We have so little discernment that any doctrine and any wisp of any wind would try to get us off course. How can we see what the Father's doing if our, or if our eyes are closed and blinded to it? We must allow the Word of God to take root, not just any root, but deep root in the fertile soil of our hearts. Our hearts can't be softened unless we humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, there's a phrase that, that, I, that, that, that you may have heard once or twice. Um, something along the lines of, you see what you are looking for. You see what you are looking for. It's a little story. I've had like three stories tonight. This never happens. But I used to have a Chevy Cobalt, which is a little four-door sedan. Love that car. Before I had my Chevy Cobalt, I never saw a Chevy Cobalt anywhere. And I think you may know where this is going. After I had my Chevy Cobalt, here's one, and here's one, and here's one. They were everywhere. Similarly, I had a friend of ours 
Uh, when we were pastoring in Georgia, he he had he wanted a white Ford Sport Track, the Explorer Sport Track. I think it was the Explorer. Yes, it was. And once he had his mind on it, he saw them everywhere. You see what you're looking for. And if it happens that way in the natural, how how much more true is it when we apply it? To the things of the Spirit. You have what you're looking for. We ought to be looking for the Father. He's not hidden Himself. We're blinded to Him. He's not hiding. He's not hiding Himself away. Playing hide and seek. He's in plain sight. But we're too blinded by these things that we're allowing to weigh us down. That our discernment has become a little to nothing. We must watch for Him. Habakkuk says this in 2.1, Habakkuk resolved within himself to watch and see what the Lord will say. Think about the phrase for a moment. I'm going to watch and see with my eyes what the Lord is speaking. Because when the Lord speaks, things happen. When the Lord speaks, the nothingness that is the earth before its creation is suddenly sprung into life. When the Lord speaks, there's light. When the Lord speaks, beasts and birds and fish come about. When the Lord speaks. Psalm 19, we referenced it earlier, but the, the, the end of the, that, that's the end of the chapter, verse 14 in Psalms 19. Everything before that. David is saying, the Lord's word did this. The Lord's word did this. The Lord's word did this. It's not enough for me to make sure my speech is clean. But I need the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be this. To be the word of the Lord. So I'm looking with my eyes to see what he says. I'm going to say it one more time. That a lack of discernment, this process of forming an opinion or an evaluation by discerning and comparing results in spiritual deafness, it results in spiritual speech impediments, and it results in spiritual blindness. How then can a lack of discernment in our churches be remedied? On a more personal level, how can we get discernment? Very quickly, I want to look back at a passage in Mark. And I want to say, oh, how wonderful that it is that we have a healer. You see, a man who is deaf, and and, um, the man who was deaf and who had the speech impediment was brought before Jesus. And I've referenced over and over again the importance of knowing the word of the Lord. How important it is that we allow this word to take deep root in our hearts. You see, this is, this is, a, a, this, whenever the Lord gave me this last night, I literally like threw my hands in the air like, in like a victory thing like Rocky because it hits so hard. You see, the man with the impediment and with the deaf ears was brought before Jesus. The word made flesh, John uh, 1 would say. And the word touched him. Jesus put his fingers in this man's ears. Jesus spat and then he touched the man's tongue. The word touched him. And his hearing was restored. And his speech was made clear. The word changed him. From deafness to hearing. The word restored him from an impediment to the clarity of speech. We need the word of God to change us and to restore us. But first, before it does it, we need the word to touch us. Amen. We need now, possibly more than ever, the word of God to touch us, 
to knock us on our faces in prostration before Him on an altar that's been without fire for too long. We need the Word of God. We need Jesus Christ Himself to put His finger in our ears so we can hear His voice. We need Jesus to come down and touch our tongues so we can speak the Word that He's called us to speak. The Word touched Him, the Word changed Him, and the Word restored Him. Oh, how we need that in our churches today. And it all can be remedied by letting the Word be spoken and preached from behind pulpits. The problem is, is that half of the people and half of the churches in this nation would leave because it's the truth. Again, I'm not going to compromise for the sake of trying to, to maintain relevancy. If it's contradictory to the Word of God, it doesn't need to be spoken from behind a pulpit. If it's not Scripture, it doesn't need to be taught from behind a pulpit. It's by the Word of God. It's by the written, tangible Word of God that you've got in your hands or on your phones. It is by the Word of God that we are given the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here in, in the, our passage from earlier. When we're given the spirit of wisdom and revelation... They're enlightening, they're, they're, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. They're opened. And it's only by the Word of God. I preached a message once, um, I believe it was over at the old building, uh, a couple of years ago. It was called God Alone. So I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of people saying that I can, I, can have my, I can have Jesus and I can have a little of something else. I can have a little bit of the Word, but I can also have something else. No, I need the Word alone. I need God alone. Because anything that tries to add or take away from this Word, right? It's only by Jesus Christ that the eyes of our enlightenment are open. We cannot gain the wisdom of heaven apart from the Word of the Lord. When we try... okay. I enjoy reading supplementary uh, materials, but my books about the Word of God are no substitute for the actual Word right. of God. The things that I read from an author that is not in this book, I will call into question if it, if it does not agree with what this book of the Lord says. People, we need discernment to know with the supplementary content that we're ingesting in our spirits is wholesome or not. That scares me to see how many Christians sit in the pews. Have, they've opened book after book after book about what someone else says, all the while not even letting the one who wrote it speak to them. I listen, there, there are authors that I love to read, but I won't read them if it takes away my time from this. I'm not going to read these authors if what they say contradicts this. Yep. Church, listen, I'm, 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 I'm not trying to, to be rude or angry or mean, but listen. The church doesn't need more doctrine. The church needs more discernment. We don't need any more opinions about Scripture. We need Scripture. We need the Word of God. It is the Word of God is what brings forth this discernment. Books about the Bible and doctrines of man are not a substitute for the written Word of God. I'm going to say this. Just as this man and Mark needed a touch from the Lord, needed a touch from Jesus. Oh, how the church in America needs a touch from the Lord. Oh, and I'm not talking, listen, I'm not talking about like five nights of over-emotional hyper-spiritualism. I'm talking about a touch from God that leaves people changed. I'm talking signs and wonders that are done so His name can be glorified. I'm convinced 
as I see the state that the church is in, that the reason that one of the reasons why God is not able to do the things he wants to do is because he knows the people that he would try to do them through would take glory for it. I read last week under the inspiration of the spirit that God doesn't give his glory to another. The reason why we have yet to see the revival that's coming is because God is weeding out the people who would try to steal glory from him. He's, he's, he's raising up people. He's raising up ministers and leaders in the church who will say, this is the word of God. And so there are many times, okay, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. So and when Paul, and I forgot who was with him, but Paul and, and his buddy were, were on an island, right? And they were making a fire, okay? They were, they were making a fire, Paul and his buddy. Please forgive me, I forgot who it was. But there was a snake in the fire. When the fire got hot, the snake came out and tried and bit Paul. Okay, the snake bit Paul, but Paul shook it off and into the, the fire. And I, I'm going to assume the snake died. So when they saw that Paul didn't die, they fell down and worshipped him. Oh, people of God, stop worshipping your church leaders and worship the king of kings. I don't need somebody up here trying to be a celebrity. I need a one who's seated on the throne. I don't need another superstar preacher. I need someone who's not afraid to say, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. I'm so thankful that Paul didn't let them worship him. Because that's the kind of person that I want to be. Lord God, now if it ever becomes about me, take the ministry you've given me away because it's a gift from you. It's not about who's behind this pulpit. It's not about who's behind the pulpit. And I don't ever want to be, I don't want to set myself up so that I stand in the way of Jesus. Mm. America needs a touch from the Lord. Oh, I, I, I wish now that he would come down and touch the ears of his church, that we, that we would be healed of our deafness. I wish that he would come down and touch our tongues, that we would be healed of our speech impediments, and we would be healed of our, our, our messages laced with, with, with the world and with flesh. Oh, I pray to the Lord that he would fill us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that our eyes could be open so we could see what the Father is doing. I submit to you this. The lack of discernment in the church today is the result of the neglect of the word of God. Why does the church not have the, the, the dispensation of discernment I feel the Holy Spirit has been trying to pour out is because we do not know the word. We need especially now entering this new year new year rather we need to prioritize the word we need to prioritize prayer we need to prioritize worship and i'm thankful that our church hasn't neglected to to assemble together but the church needs Word in your in our homes. We need prayer and fasting in our homes. We need worship and praise in our homes. The family unit is under attack and has been under attack for years in this country. We need God in the home, in the family unit. We need to prioritize the word. The word of God can touch and change and restore. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow. And this is a great phrase, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need this word we see here that the word of the Lord is in our spiritual arsenal as a sword, like Ephesians 6.17 would say, that discerns. 
The word can help you identify these things that are not of God. But we don't even know what it says. Who what soldier would go out to a battle without a sword? What soldier would storm the sands of Afghanistan without a rifle? We cannot properly discern the things that are happening in our world without the word of God. Yes. So Joseph, if you want to come play softly for me, something. I encourage you tonight, if you're, if you're I'm, I'm recording on my phone for a podcast, I'm going to put this up on my podcast. I'm, I would encourage you, if you're watching on Facebook, and I would encourage each and every one of you in this house tonight, prioritize the word of God. Make an effort, a chapter a day, make an effort to, to dig, to dive, to swim, to eat of this word. I encourage you to ask in faith for wisdom from the Lord. And if you ask in faith, he'll give it to you. Church, ask him to open the eyes of your heart. Ask the Lord, oh church, to open your ears till you can hear his voice. Oh church of the living God, bride of Christ, open your mouth. Oh church, soften your heart this day. So that the seed thrown by the sower can fall on fertile ground and take deep root.